When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. And I'm Ben. Ben, we have another list today that, um, I'll be honest, I think we're going to get some feedback from this that is going to be positive, and I think we're going to get some that's going to be negative because it's going to be a very contentious list. Oh, brother. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, and uh, whenever we do these list episodes, which we're big fans of, and we hope you guys enjoy them as much as we do, uh, we always find ourselves exploring things that maybe neither of us expected to run into. And uh, at this point, of course, our uh, our partner on the show, super producer Noel Brown, uh, is probably rolling his eyes already because he knows that we're going to ask for some sound cues. Maybe right? a few. Maybe a few, just to add some flair to it, because this list is a big deal, right? Yeah, it is. It comes from Car and Driver. And um, again, with the list like this where we say there's the, the best of something or the, the greatest of this mm-hmm. or the worst of that, mm-hmm. um, there's always going to be somebody who argues that back and forth either way. They're going to either agree with it or they're going to say, now that you got it completely wrong, Right. Or you got it kind of wrong. And that happened with our last list that we did. We did the 20, or no, it was the 13 worst selling cars of, uh, 2014, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, there were some problems with that list. And we right up front said there were some problems with this mm. list. We knew it. We set it out, you know, right up front, kind of set it up that way. We're going to do the same with this one. We're going to say that there's some problems with this list because you can't denote everybody's favorite. You can't, you simply can't do it. And we're talking about the, the 20 best Ford cars of all time. And this is a car company that's building building cars since 1903. Right. Yeah. So over a hundred and a hundred years. Right. Yep, hundred and what? Uh, twelve years. Yeah. Over a hundred and twelve years, a century and a decade. Ford has been grinding out world changing automobiles. Now, this would be still even if it were a very very small company we're talking about. There's this problem you run into whenever you want to guess the best or the worst of something. I don't most of the time in conversations, I try to avoid naming my best, my favorite anything. Well, sure. I mean, and the, the author of this list points that out. I mean, the author is uh, John P. 
Pearlie Huffman mm-hmm. from Car and Driver. And yeah. uh, I, he knows up front, too, that people are going to argue with this. So he says, you know, the final working criteria for this list is wildly inconsistent, con- uh, contradictory, and irrational. So he's saying right up front, I understand. Mm-hmm. Just tell me in the comment section below what you think. And uh, that's kind of what we're doing today. I'd love to hear from our listeners at the end of this episode. Yeah. You know, you know, write us an email, send us a message on Facebook or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, what you think the list should be. Or if uh, there's something in there that you just find inexcusable, it shouldn't have been there or mm-hmm. it should be there. So, gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, rev your opinion engines. Scott, I say we just dive into it. Let's do it. And few of these, since they're 20, we're going to probably skim over a couple faster than yeah, others. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we've got some stuff to add to each one, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, number 20. The 1967 Lotus 49 Ford Cosworth. This mm-hmm. is just a great vehicle. Ah, uh, yes. It's a collaboration between Colin Chapman's Team Lotus, uh, mm-hmm. which was sponsored by Ford. Uh, so this thing produced over 500 horsepower at the end of its F1 run. I think it started around 400 horsepower. Yep. And the big deal about this one, and I think this is maybe uh, why it's on this list, is because this was the first Formula One car uh, of note, I guess, mm-hmm. that, was, that used the engine as a stressed member of the chassis. So it's kind of a revolutionary design, as you would expect out of a Lotus car, really. Yeah, and that's the uh, Cosworth DFV engine it was using, uh, which stands for double four-valve engine. Yeah, and you know why they called it that, right? Or should I tell you? Just go ahead and tell us. <laughs> All, right. All right, so this this is after uh, a different engine that they called the FVA. Okay, mm-hmm. so you said the double uh, four-valve stands mm-hmm. for really stands for four valves per cylinder, sure. and it's double because it was a V8 engine. The, the previous engine, the FVA engine, mm-hmm. was a four-cylinder engine, so they just simply called it the DF, or I'm sorry, yeah, the DFV engine, which is double forward valve. Right, yeah, which makes sense because the other one, I think the full the full legal name is the four-valve type A, right? Yeah, I think that is right, and it is wildly successful on right. the F1 circuit and, uh, you know, other circuits as well because – uh, here, I'll just read this. The Lotus 49 would finish second in the Constructors' Championship for 1967, while versions of the 49 would win the title in 68 and 70. Meanwhile, the DFV engine would take drivers uh, to 12 Formula One World Championships and power cars to 10 Constructors' titles, uh, meaning that the DFV variants would win the 24 Hours of Le Mans and the Indianapolis 500 a full 10 times. 10 times. That's incredible. Yeah, that is well, you know, it's credible, I guess, but it's amazing. Oh, yeah, I see what you mean. It's a it's a hugely successful engine. Yeah, let's. I mean, and I'm not here to quibble over semantics, right? I just, you know, one of the reasons I'm saying this is a total sidebar, and I promise there won't be many because we have okay. a lot to get through. I have been trying to get the word "awesome" out of my vocabulary. Really? Yeah, I'm overusing it. So many people, especially listeners, if you are. Not from the United States. You've probably noticed that people overuse the word awesome here. Oh, boy. I'm going to be self-conscious now because I may throw that word into this uh, this episode. Well, as long as it's literally awe-inspiring, you and I are fine. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll tell you what's awe-inspiring. You want to look up a car that used this engine, mm-hmm. look up these terms on, on Google. Just search Jim Clark F1. And you will see the vehicle that, that that DFV engine went into. And it's, it's amazing. It's a beautiful car. It's the green one with the, uh, you know, the yellow nose cone. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's outstanding. It's one of my favorite IndyCar designs of all time. F1 car, IndyCar of all time. No amazing. kidding. Yeah. It really is. Wow. It's awesome. Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so we've got a, we've got a returning character on car stuff here for number 19. Yeah. The Raptor. Yeah, so this is the uh, the Ford F one hundred and fifty SVT Raptor, and um, 
Well, I don't know if I agree with what the uh, the author calls this. He calls it the the GT40 of off road pickup trucks. Uh, you know, I get where he's going with it, but I'm not completely on board either. Might be overstepping a little bit to say that. I but there's a pretty incredible version of this coming out in. I think it's in 2017. Uh, yeah, the 2017. Yeah, yeah, version. the second gen model. But we're talking about the first gen here, uh-huh. and so this is a truck that has like you know real long suspension travel, aggressive looks, and um, you know it's something that uh, other manufacturers just simply don't dare to do. You know, they don't they don't dare to build this. Right. And this this Raptor itself, interesting rumor on the street. You know, it's it's rumored to be one of the most profitable. Ford models. Ah, uh, that's what I've heard. Yeah, and but you know what? Some of the right the, the readers of Car and Driver wrote in, you know, in the comment section. I was looking through all that. Yeah, and uh, one of them pointed out, and this is pretty important, I guess. Um, <laughs> they say anyone can buy an F one fifty XLT with the EcoBoost engine, put about ten thousand dollars into suspension, wheels, and tires, mm-hmm. and have a truck that'll outdo a Raptor and still come in at ten thousand less than the Raptor cost brand new. So, what do you think of that? I mean, that's a it's an interesting idea that you could kind of build a better version of the Raptor mm-hmm. for less money and be able to outperform the Raptor. Right. And all it would cost you is some time and some labor. That same commenter went on to say uh, that most of the Raptors he sees on the road look like they've never seen dirt. That's probably true. And, you know, when they say they don't, the other manufacturers don't dare to build something like this, they've all got their own versions of this. I, I don't yeah, mean that, true. I don't mean that no one is in this game because other manufacturers certainly are, but, um, now, the Raptor, that's the one that seems to get a lot of press. And this 2017 version that is coming out, I think they just released that at the uh, the Detroit Auto Show this year. Yeah. Um, man, it's going to be something else. It's going to have the aluminum body, of course, mm-hmm. and a twin-turbo V6. None of the other specs really have been broadcast about this yet. They're, they're coming. I don't think they've been finalized. Uh, yeah, then. not yet, but uh, but it's coming. And, you know, watch for it. I think it's going to be an amazing truck. And speaking of amazing... Uh, the number 18 on our list, the Ford GT. One of my favorites. I mean, come on. If this is not one of your favorite cars, then I'm just assuming you haven't read about it ever. And, and consider this. This is number 18 on the list mm-hmm. of 20. So mm-hmm. uh, it's not ranking all that high, I guess. I mean, 20 out of the countless cars that Fords have produced. I mean, it's sure. pretty good. But we're talking about specifically the 2005 to 2006 model year version, mm-hmm. uh, not the 2016 model that, again, was released uh, this, this year at the auto show. Um, but I, here's one thing that I didn't know. The styling, as the author points out here, was kind of a 13-tenth scale version of the original GT40. Did you know that? I No, that was news to me. I didn't know that it was kind of like a, a, a larger version of the GT40. I guess I haven't seen them side by side enough to... Uh, be able to pick out that it's that the original was a little bit smaller. Yeah, but I was I was surprised. And the stats on this, the specs are really good. It's got a 550 horsepower uh, supercharged DOHC 32 valve V8, mm-hmm. uh, and that's a that's a midsection, uh, right? Mid engine, awesome. Yeah, yeah, it is, <laughs> and it's got a six speed. It's got a six speed manual, of course. The author goes on to describe this as a 21st century legend. Which is right up there with instant classic. You know I'm just peppering that in there now to just kind of mess with you. I know, I know. And it's not on you, Scott. It's it's on me. I have to try my best because I've been overusing that word. And, uh, Noel, if I could ask you a favor, don't edit these out. If I accidentally say awesome, not counting that last time, then... <laughs> Then keep them in. I need to learn. You might. You just might throw it in there. I totally will. You know, I get. A, you know, as this list goes on, I'm going to get enthusiastic about several 
there, there are a couple on this list that I am really excited about. And now I'm completely self-conscious about using it. But I will, uh, <laughs> if it happens, it happens. All oh, right. no. Don't All tell right. me I ruined the show. So, no, not, definitely not. All right. So number 17. Yeah. The 1961 Lincoln Continental, and it starts off with a sentence that I don't agree with. (laughs) Okay. I'll go ahead. You can read it. After the hideous 1958 to 1960 Continental, Elwood Ingalls' gorgeous 61 Continental saved the entire Lincoln brand with its clean sides and flat hood and trunk. All right. Now, I'm a fan of the 1961 Lincoln Continental. Uh However, just take a look online at, at the 1958 to 1960 Lincoln Continental, and it's a beautiful car. I mean, I really like it. I mean, you know, it's just a, a matter of opinion, uh-huh. but I really like it. I like the design. And so for him to call it hideous, I mean, that's, this is a prime example of, of why these lists are so, uh, so, well, so contentious. So why people, divisive, yeah. yeah, exactly. Why people like to write in and say, I dis, I disagree with you completely. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, I don't know. I, I, I was kind of shocked by that statement, but anyways, the idea was that, you know, this, this design was influential beyond Ford because, um, like the, the, I guess the, the upcoming generation of muscle cars mm-hmm. kind of looked to this for, you know, this, um, I, I don't know, this, uh, this style. Well, I don't know if that's a good way to say it, Ben. Aesthetic? Uh, maybe the aesthetic that, uh, that this portrayed. And yeah. it's, it's, it's in there. It's in the DNA. You can see it. I know it's a giant vehicle with these big mm-hmm. flat sides and everything, but, you can kind of see it's built there. It's, it's built got in those there. suicide doors too, which oh. you can't miss. I would love some suicide doors. You know what? There, I, I, I was interested in this right from the beginning because we talked about suicide doors in a previous episode about um, back from the dead car features. Mm-hmm. It turns out there's something like um, in 2014, there's like 20 cars you can get with suicide doors on them or a version of suicide, suicide doors. All right, there's the Opel Vauxhall Mariva. There's the Mini Clubman. There's the Toyota FJ Cruiser. The Ford F-150 Super Cab, and, you know, it just goes on and on, I guess. A lot of trucks have a uh, kind of a smaller rear door for the Super Cab versions that open kind of in the suicide door fashion. And then the big surprise on this list is Rolls-Royce. I don't know why I didn't think of this. Yeah. Rolls-Royce have, you know, like full-on front doors that are suicide doors. They're really cool. Mm-hmm. And some of them have, like, you know, the regular operating front door and then the back door that's suicide. Right. Very cool design. Yeah, you can't really you can't really beat suicide doors, in my opinion, except for maybe gullwing doors when they're not broken. Ah, uh, but when executed on this uh, this 1961 Lincoln Continental, I mean, that's just that that seems to be the standard, I guess, uh, and, that everybody else is conforming to. And here is something that I think is going to be one of your favorite cars on the list. It is, and you know, a lot of people said that this really isn't a Ford, and I kind of you know I kind of agree. Yeah, the the. Yeah. The Shelby 427 Cobra. Weighing in at number 16. Yeah. And, of course, that's a reference to the world-famous, uh, he's a legend on our show, Carol Shelby. Right? Yeah, and that's because it had the, uh, well, that's because it has the underpinnings of a Ford. It has the, the ace body and chassis. Um, but they did put, you know, that giant V8 from Ford in there. Um, and there's a, there's a history to this whole thing. And I feel like I need to mention a Facebook message that I received from a listener not long ago. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. 
And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Because this kind of clears everything up, and, and we'll move on past this, uh, you know, this number 16 entry. But uh, Kay Chalice wrote in on fa- Facebook and said, um, I'm just currently working my way through your back catalog, and I'm currently listening to the episode on Carol Shelby. Uh-huh. Being English, I can't help noticing that you missed out an enormous chunk of the English history of the A.C. Shelby Cobra, and you got it le- at least one detail wrong. What? What did we get wrong? <laughs> so this is going back a long time ago. Okay. All right. The car, which later became known as the Cobra, was originally known as the A.C. Ace, with one of the engines it used being made by Bristol, which could be where you got confused. Also, Shelby didn't develop the car. AC did at Shelby's request with an engine from Ford UK. So once the car was prepared in England, it was sent to America for Shelby to insert his engine and gearbox into the ready-prepared car. So the AC Cobra was a completely English car with an American engine, not exactly the way many Americans see it, is it? When viewed this way, it is the best of both of our two countries coming together to make one great car, rather than Shelby taking a little English car and making it into something it, was, it never was, as you implied in your podcast. So, oh, kind of okay. getting called out a little bit on that one, I guess. But uh, but the I, here's the, the, the main crux of this whole thing, is that AC Ace did make three different engines, and Bristol did make one of those. There, AC, there was the AC version with a 2-liter inline 6, a Bristol 2-liter inline 6, and then a Ford 2.6-liter inline 6. And then the, the Bristol version of that became... The AC to, or I should just say that car, the AC Ace became right. the AC Cobra in 1962 because that's when, um, Bristol stopped building the engine, the six cylinder in 1961. So then there's, there's a confusing history that goes on here. I think we, I sure. think we got most of that clear in the, in the Carol Shelby episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm glad that, uh, Kay pointed some of the stuff out. So, so Carol Shelby approached the AC owner. His name was Charles Herlock mm-hmm. about using a Ford V8 in the Ace chassis. And, uh, and which created the AC Cobra. 
Yeah, and I would say, hey, thanks for keeping us honest there, mm-hmm. uh, which is what we say whenever we receive uh, such such polite, constructive criticism. It really you know? was. So thanks, yeah. Kay. I appreciate clearing it up, and uh, and I, I hope I got that straight because I, if I didn't, she'll probably write back. But also, um, <laughs> I, it becomes very complex when you're trying to write out quick notes on on a Facebook mo- message here and uh, and get it all straight because the all of the history that surrounds that vehicle mm-hmm. is very confusing. There are a lot of Venn diagrams and overlaps in there. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, Honestly. there really are. There truly yeah. are. So uh, speaking of some overlap, number 15 on our list, the 1939 Lincoln Continental. Now, why would they pick the 1939 Lincoln Continental? Well, the story actually goes back to 1933 because in 1933, uh, Bob Gregory, who was a designer at you know the Ford Design Studio, uh, began designing a smaller version of the Lincoln Zephyr, which led to the first Continental, which was a, actually a bespoke one-off vehicle that was specifically created for Edsel Ford, who is, uh, of course, yeah. Henry's son. Yeah, uh, V12-powered coupe. I mean, this is this is a nice it, – it's convertible too, right? Yeah, and you may be confused by this because um, Lincoln was founded way back in 1917. Right. But the Continental didn't come about until officially until 1939, but it was in the works much earlier than that. Yes. We've got we've got some um do we have a podcast about the Lincoln yet? Ah, yes we do. I think about, about the just Lincoln. Lincoln. Yeah, well, I think we do. Yeah. Ah, boy, I'm stretching the uh, the limits of my memory. <laughs> right. We'll check and if we don't have one, uh, maybe we can make an entire show about that. I I've just got to say I'm I'm pretty excited. I want to don't want to skim too much over the Lincoln, but number 14, the 1955 Ford Thunderbird. Mm-hmm. Scott, come on. This is amazing. It is. We're talking about the uh the two-seat Thunderbird. Okay, right. So this yeah. is a, this was um you remember this was a halo car for Ford. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we we sort of see this now, but the idea back then was pretty new. And the idea behind a halo car was something that would draw people into the dealership. They would come to look at this car specifically. And they wouldn't really be able to afford it, maybe, because it was right. priced high. It was a, a ultra-luxury type vehicle, but this was a sports car, really. So maybe luxury sports car, I guess, at this point. So the idea was that people would come into the dealership and look at this vehicle, and then they would be interested in other vehicles that they also see on the showroom floor. So it, it was meant to spur sales of other vehicles that surrounded it, and that's why they call it a halo car. It, you know, the, the vehicles that were in its uh, in its it, presence. In its aura. Often sold. Yeah. Yeah. And it worked too. It right? really did. Yeah, it's, it's true. And um, as the author points out here, after just three years, it, became, it turned into a four seat uh, four seat car, mm-hmm. and which he calls a mess. I don't know if I would really go so far as to call it a mess. Yeah, that uh, coupe is cooler though. It is. I mean, when you see the uh, when you see the the two seat original Ford Thunderbird, it is definitely a cool car. Now they made them from 1955. Uh, I mean, just Thunderbirds in general from 1955 all the way through 1997, I believe. And then it came back in 2002 through 2005. Uh, my uncle owns one of these. He owns a, what? a one of the uh, uh, the 2002 to 2005 versions. I don't know which oh, okay. uh, which year his is. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see, one other little, I guess, Thunderbird history I have. Uh-huh. Um, I had a neighbor long, long time ago who had a friend that would drop by his house, and he owned a 1964 Thunderbird. Oh man, it was, uh, it was dark blue, had a white top on it. It was gorgeous, lots of chrome, beautiful looking car. Did I don't you ever get in it. I did not. No, I was in high school at the time. Mm-hmm. This guy was kind of like someone I knew, but he was he was not really that close of a friend. And then that guy himself owned a uh, a Plymouth GTX. I think it was in 1967. So when the two of these guys would take their cars out, kind of cruising around, it was pretty cool looking. You know, see yeah. the GTX and the, the Thunderbird together. 
No kidding. I, I have to ask you what you think about this next one on our list. Okay. I'm, I'm not blown away by this one, but I can understand why it's here. Okay. And let's, right. let's introduce it and then let's talk a little bit about why, why it made it onto this list. All right. This is the 1969 Ford Capri that comes in at number 13. And, um, not the most glamorous car. No, it was sold by Mercury dealers mm-hmm. and it's definitely not glamorous. I mean, it was, it, the idea is that it was a Ford Cortina that they rebodied to make into this Ford Capri and, uh, which was later a Mercury Capri, I guess. And, um, the idea was that it would be affordable, like an affordable platform that, uh, you know, they could, they could build on, they could modify. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, modification i think is the is the key that got this on the list i think so yeah i mean it it became just a a versatile vehicle for them Mm -hmm. and it sold well and um i I think it continued its sales in the united states uh until about 1978 Mm -hmm. um so it it stuck around for a while i mean it wasn't like you know a flash in the pan or anything um I i don't see any of these around now yeah not even at car shows well it reminds me if you'll permit an awkward comparison it reminds me a little bit of what they used to say about Joe Montana when he would when he would throw he would say they would say like his passes are never going to be beautiful like they're ugly mm-hmm. but they get across the line so this is sort of like a Joe Montana thing it's not the most pretty uh execution but it gets the job done I guess and you know I think the intended market for this was the European market uh, Oh yeah yeah they, yeah, they yeah. point That's out say it. they point out here in this article that uh the idea was kind of the the Mustang formula, which I believe the Mustang was something like wasn't it a Falcon, I think. Yeah, a Falcon underneath, really. Uh, that they put nice sheet metal on, as they say, and uh, <laughs> and that's kind of what they did with this with this Cortina. Or, I'm sorry, yeah, the Cortina. They they put the Capri sheet metal on it, and uh, and it became a good seller. But still, for my money, I would definitely go with the next one on our list, the 1965 Ford Galaxy. All right. LTD. All right. I like the Galaxy. I understand what you're saying. And the, the photo that they show with this article is like a, a NASCAR version of it, right? That's true. That's yeah, got to sway what? you a bit. That is swaying me. I, I think so. But, it's a, but it is a cool car. I mean, the shape of the car is really cool. And if you were to see one on the road today, it stands out. I mean, obviously, it's an older car and it will. But right. um, it's just a, you can you can spot a Ford Galaxy from a mile away. I mean, it's, a, it's a really interesting design. And what this author is very impressed with here is the move from leaf springs to coil springs in rear suspension. Yeah, well, that was a huge move because mm-hmm. the idea, and this is probably why it's on the list, is, and, and I'll quote this here, elements of this car's engineering, including its front suspension, would become the standard building blocks of NASCAR stock cars. So that's why we got the NASCAR photo here, but um, yeah. pretty cool. I mean, I... um what is it, 46 years, I think, that the whole thing was in production? Yeah, to, what, 2011? Yeah, so nearly nearly five decades of production. Um, and the, the uh, I guess the last remnants of this design were in the 2011 Ford Crown Victoria. Um, as you mentioned, you know, 2011 was the final year. But, man, that's a long, long run for elements of this car to uh, to remain in production. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, one more little quick thing here. Yeah. My family had a Ford LTD. Uh, back in the 19, we had it in the 1980s, but it was from the 1970s. I can't remember if it was a 77. This is terrible, Ben. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if it was a 77 or a 78. It was powder blue, had a blue top on it, a vinyl top. And I can't even remember if it was two door or four door because I wasn't really driving at the time. It, mm-hmm. uh, it went away just about the time I started driving. So oh. I don't really recall his two door or four door. I, I kind of think it was two door because those giant doors. Uh-huh. Uh, but man, that was a monster of a car. Huge. That had big 351 
Windsor engine in it, I think. Oh, wow. But it was a massive car, too. So, uh, you know, you would think that's a big, powerful car, but it, it took a lot to get that thing moving. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you been around every car on this list, Scott? <laughs> I feel like I have. You know, I've got a friend uh, from high school whose uh, father was a, a big-shot Ford exec back in the late 80s and mm-hmm. early 90s. And so right at that kind of sweet spot when I was in high school and, you know, getting into driving and had friends that had cars, et cetera. Yeah. We had some pretty amazing cars to, to use on the weekends and things. So that's so cool. It is. I'll mention a couple of those as we go, but I'll try to keep away from, you know, the long story stories. Oh no, the long stories are some of the best stories. The next one falls right into that category. Yeah. Number 12, the 1982 Ford Mustang GT. Uh, guys, you knew this was coming. We're not going to do a best Fords of all time podcast without, uh, paying due deference to the Ford Mustang GT. Okay, specifically, the 1982 uh, version of the Ford Mustang GT comes after uh, the 1981. There's a big change there, right? Yeah, body change. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're talking about the, uh, the, I guess most people call it the Fox body yeah. Mustang. Yeah. And the Fox platform itself was a, is actually around from about 1978 through all the way through 2004. It, mm-hmm. it covers a lot of vehicles. 
I mean, the Fairmont's on there, the Zephyr's on there, mm-hmm. the LTD, the Mustang, of course, the Capri, the Thunderbird, Cougar. Uh, there was even a Lincoln that used it. I think the Mark 7 used it. Yeah. It's yeah. a popular, it was a popular platform to use, but a lot of people just call this the Ford Fox Body Mustang. And what's interesting, I have a story about this one. My best friend growing up had a, uh, it wasn't an 82, uh, but he had, I, th- I think he had an 84. It was, it was pretty old by that time, by the time we got to it, right? Yeah. And we spent so much time just sort of cruising around our, our area, right? In our mm-hmm. town. And the, the thing was that eventually, uh, people would recognize us not because we, we tried to fix some stuff on it, but we didn't, we didn't do that well. We we're just, you know, kids tinkering around with it. Mm-hmm. But eventually people recognized us, uh, just because we would always be going to the same places. There was one straightaway where, uh, I don't want to say that the cops never pulled people over, but it was just sort of understood in our town that you could get away with it if you did it here in this one isolated road. And, you know, the law enforcement there, they were really cool guys. Just if anything, they were the kind of folks who would make you call your parents because they knew that was worse than having to go to jail. Oh, yeah. As I've said from the very beginning of this show. Mm -hmm. Right place, right time. Right place, right time. You have yep. said that. Yep. All right, Ben, you know what's kind of funny, I guess, is that, you know, you're, you were probably in a, a slightly higher horsepower version than the one that we're talking about here on this list. Ah, that's right. Uh, because now the, the one that's spelled out here is a 1982, and they're talking about the 1981 engine in this article. So the 1981 Mustang engine used what they call a crummy <laughs> 4.2 liter version of Ford's classic small block V8. And get this, the horsepower is just 115 out of that 4.2 liter V8. Now, this was during a, a certain era in Ford's history, right? Mm-hmm. What was What's it called? Oh, it's called the Malaise era. Now, it's not just <laughs> Ford. It was yeah. all manufacturers here in the United States. And, and the idea was, and this is this is crazy, that, you know, people were done with, uh, with high-performance cars at this point. You know, they just wanted to get fuel economy, and they were still hanging on to these V8 engines, but they mm. were uh, so dramatically detuned for emission standards and things like that, that, uh, that, you know, these giant V8s that were producing a lot of horsepower before and they were free flowing are now restricted and the restrictions, the emissions restrictions put on these things, cut them way back. I mean, 115 horsepower or something like that. Now, now later in the eighties, uh, probably the one that you were dealing with the 84 Mm -hmm. and all the way through like the ones that I was in, like the 88, 89, 90, that era, Mm-hmm. Uh, those were, you know, ballpark 225 horsepower, something like mm-hmm. that. And that was fast at the time. That yeah. was really fast. Yeah. And the 82 is on the list because it represents the change from that because they had the, they returned to a 4.9 liter small block, even though it was sold as a 5.0. So this is the 5.0 Mustang. Yeah. Everybody yeah. knows, right? Yeah. And the five liter Mustang with the badge uh, on the side, everybody yep. knows that one. It's, mm-hmm. it's even in songs. Vanilla it's, Ice sang about <laughs> Vanilla Ice sang about this car. Well, how much more official can you get? I know. <laughs> uh, so let's uh, let's go to uh, let's, let's do a few real quick here. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's just run through some. All right. Quick. So how about the 1939 Ford Anglia? And uh, this was built in England and Australia, and it's a subcompact car, which is strange because when you look at a photo of this thing, it, it has the appearance of a much bigger car. I guess you'd have to 
have somebody standing next to it for scale. Right. Yeah. Because what what's interesting here is even though in the the picture, just the the carriage of the vehicle itself lo- makes it look like it's larger. Right. There's a bit of an optical illusion. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a 1939 Ford, so you can imagine the styling is significantly different. It has big fenders. Um, sure. Are there? I think there are running boards there. I can see in the photo. Yeah, it's got the running boards. And the the thing again about the size is that this was made as a more of a budget car in terms of uh, its fuel consumption. So it's naturally going to have a smaller engine. And it was actually built, The one of the big considerations they have for the size of the vehicle and its footprint was that they wanted to make it easier to drive on former cart paths. Because remember, this is still, you know, 1939. 1939. And then uh, after World War II is when production really began to ramp up on this vehicle. So, you know, from... When World War II is uh, what 1939 to 1945, I believe, right? Uh-huh. So post 1945 is when they really started to build a lot of these vehicles, and I think they built them all the way through 1967. So this is a, a significant run for this vehicle. I mean, nearly a nearly a 30 year run on this in this car, mm-hmm. and, uh, and they made a lot of them. And as I said, they were built in England and Australia. Um, but man, what a it's, it's an interesting design. It's a and it gave way to um, a vehicle called the Ford Escort. Ah, yes. Uh, specifically on our list today, the 1968 Ford Escort. Yeah, which is number nine on the mm-hmm. list. So, uh, you know, the, the car that I guess gave birth to the Ford Escort, you know, the Anglia, mm-hmm. uh, comes in just ahead of that. But the number nine car is the 1968 Ford Escort. And I don't know, Ben, I, I'm kind of back and forth about this car. I mean, again, this is another one that was around a lot of kids in, you know, my high school right. drove Ford Escorts. But when I say Ford Escorts, there were, there were six generations a Ford Escort. So when, when people picture Ford Escort, I can guarantee you that everybody has a different image in their mind. And it kind of probably comes down to right about that time in high school when, when <laughs> most of your friends were driving this. Cause it's an economical car. Sure. Small, of course. Yeah. Right. And you know, it's front engine, rear wheel drive. Um, and the idea, I think the original idea was this was kind of trying to almost emulate a British vehicle from Ford. Of course. Let me be honest with you, man. I don't care for the Escort. You really don't? I know. It's all, it's probably all objective, or excuse me, the opposite of objective. It's all subjective stuff, but it's, yeah, it's just not my bad. Well, you know, there were, there was a, again, I, and I tell you, like the version that I think of, I think of the third and fourth generation versions of these cars. Ah, okay. Um, So like the fifth and sixth gens are, I've just completely forgotten about. And the ones prior (laughs) to that, I didn't really have any experience with. So I think of the, the third and fourth gens. And there were actually some pretty decent versions of the Ford Escort GT at that time. Not bad. I mean, you know, the yeah. performance versions, they were a little more money. Had sure. the, uh, the aero kits and all that, if you can call it that. But, you know, a, um, kind of a snappy little five speed transmission. Um, felt great to drive. They were a lot of fun. Um, but, you know, they had their flaws too. So I understand, I understand what you're saying. The looks weren't fantastic by any means. And you may be sure. thinking of the later versions that got a little more, um, I'd say a little more smooth, but less angular yeah. than the third and fourth gens that I'm accustomed mm-hmm. to. That's true. And I, I think you make a great point when you say that everybody can picture an escort immediately in their head, but it's rarely going to be the same one. I guess that's how you can find out, you know, the period of time during which you were in high school. I guess so. You know, we didn't go through those too quick, did we? I guess maybe we should do something okay, faster. Yeah, yeah. How about yeah, that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so 1953 Ford F100. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love this car. I mean, this truck. Excuse me. Uh, it's got a modern chassis underneath. It's got the wraparound windshield. 
Uh, hot rodders love these. Mm-hmm. As uh, as with several of the vehicles on this list, you'll find that hot rodders uh, go back to these vehicles, you know, the 50, 60 years ago, and just love the, love them, love the design, love the uh, the basic building block that they could start with to create their hot rod. Mm-hmm. And this is one of them. Now, I'm a bigger fan of the uh, the Ford trucks from the 1940s, and maybe even back into the like the Model A pickups. Which, really? Yeah, and I really enjoy the uh, you know the the Model A's from I think they were 1927 to 31, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I could find one of those, I'd love it. But it's not necessarily you know um, all that practical to have a vehicle like that unless you've done you know some updates to it because would, they had yeah they did have the wire wheels, they didn't have the wooden spokes or anything like that. But we're talking <laughs> about you know like the old. You can picture these in black and white photos. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the kind that would run a sawmill when they had their downtime. Uh, you know, the old, old Ford pickups. Which, uh, which model does your neighbor own? Oh, my neighbor. Oh, he has a Ford, uh, Model A, but. Yeah, um, not the pickup. Not the pickup. Yeah. No. no, he has a special version too. I'd have to, uh, I'd have to, I think it's a Victoria or something like that. I'll have to look into what body style it is, but yeah, see it's his dad's car. Yeah, see if he'll let you drive it to work one day. Just <laughs> no harm in asking. There is no way he's going to let that uh, let that go. What do you think about number seven, the 1949 oh. Ford Custom? All right, I do like this, and this is this is why because this is a big turning point in design, uh, not just for Ford but for all of the automatic. Yeah, it sets really. a standard. Yeah, now this car has. Uh, if look at the Ford Custom from 1949, there are no you know big rolling fenders. There's no running boards. Um, it, this is kind of the uh, the the blueprint, I guess, for all of the post-war Fords from this point forward. They call it the envelope design. Yeah, yeah, and you will recognize this in so many other American cars if you if you just check out the Ford Custom, uh, especially that front end then you're going to see it reflected everywhere else. You can't unsee it. Again, a lot of hot riders use this vehicle oh, as, yeah. as a basis for their car. Now, the, the the idea behind the envelope design, and we'll move on quickly here, but the envelope design idea is that the bodywork stretches from you know left to right over the over the whole thing. It doesn't end over the engine and then have to uh, have extra fenders that go over that with right. with running boards connecting the two. And you know, mm-hmm. the, the bodywork is is much more complete on this vehicle than it was in the past. Yeah, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but it's uh. It, it it covers the vehicle from edge to edge. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, the way that's a better way to say yeah, it. Yeah. Let, think about it left to right. There we go. All right. Uh, the next one on the list, uh, may, a lot of people may have some problems with this one, but... I'm one of them, by I the kind, way. I kind of agree with this, and I'll tell you why. Because uh, this this is a car that, you know, much like the K-Car saved Chrysler, I think the Ford Taurus did save Ford. Okay, so you're you're saying something like... It's the hero the city deserves <laughs> I, the, that Ford needed. I kind of think it is. And it, you think about it. This came out right about the same time as the K car was out there. I mean, the K car yeah. was a little bit earlier, I believe. But this 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 idea, you know, the, the basic shape of the Ford Taurus from uh, 1986. And it's nothing spectacular to look at or anything like that. Right. But they sold a bunch of these. And, and, that and was they needed to. Yeah, they, they had to. Because the uh, because for or the American car industry in general was, mm-hmm. uh, is it fair to call it a spiral? Uh, yes, it is. It is right in yeah. the mid '80s. It definitely was, mm-hmm. and and this brought them out of that spiral. Now the thing is that this had a completely different look for the time. And looking back now, uh, think about the shape. I mean, you see the shape in a lot of sedans even now. I guess the basic shape of this. But prior to that, you really didn't see a form that looked like the Ford Taurus. That was kind of new at the time. It was. I wouldn't say revolutionary or anything like that, but it yeah. was new and different, and it was what Ford needed to 
to spark sales of this car. And that's exactly what they did. Of course, they came out with the, the high performance show versions mm-hmm. and, uh, or SHO as some people like to say, but it's the show versions. And those are the ones that, you know, are kind of collectible. But I mean, just the basic Ford Taurus from 1986 was, was, as this author pointed out as well, this is the car that saved Ford in the mid eighties. All right. So it sounds like even if I or the numerous other listeners that I'm sure are on my side about this, even, even if all of us, don't uh, agree that the Ford tour should be on this list based on specs. We can say that because it saved Ford, it deserves a spot. I think it does. Now, does it deserve to be number six on a list of 20? I don't know about that. I mean, I mean, it's a big deal to save the company, Ben. Come on. You're right. You're right. Maybe I'm being a, a, a little bit crotchety about it, but uh, I'll tell you what we, you and I can both get on board with, and that is number five, the 48 Ford F series. Ah, you know what? I just mentioned this on the, in the last Ford that we talked about. Yeah. This is my favorite era, I guess, the 1940s Fords. Yeah. This is the, the first Ford F series pickup truck in 1948, and this has been built for 67 years at this point. So from uh-huh. 1948 all the way through present day. And, uh, this one, I don't know. <laughs> This is amazing. It had it had what they called the uh, the million dollar cab back in 1948. <laughs> right. So so think about this. In 1948, Ford spent one million dollars to uh, to design and tool the cab design, just to strictly the cab of this truck. Mm-hmm. And it had what they called um, they called it living room comfort, and it was much higher and wider than the cab design prior to this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I gotta say, no matter what you want to say about Ford as a company overall, even if you do the found on road dead joke, uh, there's no denying that Ford cleans up on pickups and has for decades. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's the best selling vehicle for something like, what do we say in that last episode? Was it like 32 years or 33 years or something like that? Oh yeah. Yeah. The F one fifty. Yeah. The F one fifty specifically is like the best selling vehicle, not just trucks, but just best selling vehicle here in the United States for something like 30 years. And maybe I'm mixing the, that up just a bit, but mm-hmm. something like that. It has several decades run of being a, a widely popular vehicle here. Now, let me ask you about the next stuff on our list, because of course, of course it's the Ford Mustang, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Specifically though, 64, to 65 counting that mid-year change in 64 well, okay here's the discrepancy when you see the, the, we're, we're just talking about the first year ford mustang here right so the discrepancy is that a lot of people say it's a 1964 others say no the first model year is a 1964 and a half and others say it's always 1965 and the idea right. is that well, it was launched you know there's a whole timing issue with when it was launched right yeah. And we see modern car makers still do this. I mean, Ford still does this. Everybody, everybody else does this. They launch, um, like take for instance, we'll see, we'll start seeing 2016 cars here pretty soon, even though we're just barely into 2015. And the thing is, all of the VINs on these vehicles will call this, you know, the first year versions of the, the, uh, the Mustang. Yeah. They're officially tagged as 1965 models, but. You know, some of the people, some of the people that are selling them or, or, you know, collect them or whatever will say, no, these are 1964 and a half or 1964. So there's this discrepancy in, in the, uh, the first model year. And I love, I'd love to hear what you think about that too, listeners, because, uh, this, this one is a pretty divisive issue. Yeah, I guess. Now we mentioned it's, uh, you know, just, well, the author says pretty sheet metal over the, uh, over the bones of a falcon. Yeah. Which is, uh, that's pretty common for people to do. I understand. But, uh, this definitely did garner a huge following immediately 
and you know it's the first pony car. Yeah, I was going to say it's the king of pony cars, and uh, and and continues to be that way today. I mean, people still search out this vehicle, specifically the first model year Mustang. So we mentioned hot rods earlier, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you are considering a hot rod, you can't do too much better than the 1932 Ford V8. Yeah, and I think okay, I'm I'm going to go out on a limb here. Go for I it. I think they call this one the Model 18. Now there's some, you know. I'll have to really dig into that a little bit more, but I, I believe I recall this being called the Model 18 as well. And that was the one that was V8 equipped, uh, in 1932. And I'll have right. to double check my, my notes on that. But, um, this was also the first car that Ford ever fitted with a flathead V8, uh-huh, which is a big deal. Yeah. Stop. They love the, the 32 Ford and the flathead V8 combination, but they also love to take the flathead V8 and put it into other cars. Yeah. And that's one of the essences, right? Of hot rodding. So oh, of course. Yeah. This idea. Um, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna move up a little bit fast just cause we're almost to number one and I want to see if people can guess. So ladies and gentlemen, just take a moment before you continue and ask yourself what you think the top two cars for Ford of all time are. Yeah. Ponder the previous 18. Uh huh. And what's missing. Right. So we went past some things that got, uh, that are, you know, arguably Ford cars like Shelby. We went into some things that are arguably earning their place on the list, like the Taurus. Sorry. Yeah. You got a little snarky there. That's all right. So number two, have you, do you have it in your head? Have you thought about what this will be? I hope so. It's the 1964 GT40. And I'm so glad to see this made the list. Yeah, this really, this really deserves to be on the list. Now, as you know, if you are a fan of racing, there were, uh, less than 140 of these built, actually 135. And they mixed some, uh, chassis components from European manufacturing with American racing V8s. And this thing was built to beat Ferrari. And oh boy, it did. Oh, yes, it did because it, uh, it came away with four straight 24-hour Le Mans championships between 1966 and 1969. And, of course, that just angered to no end Enzo Ferrari. Right, yeah, who is already kind of a touchy guy. Yeah, because remember there was that whole deal with, uh, was it Ford wanted to buy Ferrari? Is that, yeah. that was it? And, uh, and last minute he ducked out. And uh, there's a great story about the rivalry mm-hmm. between the mm-hmm. two of them. So, um, man, no argument from me that this car should be number two on the list. Ah, yes, but I want to see what you think about number one, super producer Noel Brown. May we have a drum roll, please. Ladies and gentlemen, the number one greatest car produced by Ford Motor Company in around 112 years of business. It's the Ford Model T. Right, and and it seems so simple now, but how many people guessed it? That's, that's yeah, what I'm wondering. That's the thing. I mean, once you once you hear it, you're like, of course, that's going to be number one. Right, this. and and it, I think it it truly does deserve to be number one. I mean, this vehicle changed everything. I mean, yeah, it, it changed everything. It really did change everything. And we've done a lot of talking about um, the Model T and, mm-hmm. and Henry's idea behind this whole thing. We have right. a podcast just on how to start them. <laughs> exactly right. We've got. A lot of material on this car. It was produced from 1908 to 1927, mm-hmm. but Model T engines were produced all the way until 1941 uh, because Henry wanted them out there. Almost 170,000 engines were built after car production ended. So there were 
readily available replacement engines for this thing forever. And they kept going. And this is uh, in addition, mind you, to the 16.5 million Model T's built over the period of 20 years. Yeah, I guess when you think of it that way, they built 16.5 million, and then there were an, an additional... You know, from the factory, 170,000 extra engines. Yeah. That's maybe not a lot of extra engines, really. I mean, I know people get them rebuilt or whatever, but if you're talking about a factory replacement, mm-hmm. that's maybe not a lot for $16.5 million. And the world was never the same. I have been biting my tongue to not overuse this word, but I will say this. The effect of the Model T was awesome. It really was. Awe-inspiring. And, Ben, you know what? I, I would mm. have so much I'd like to say about, about Henry Ford at this point and the Model T yeah. and his feelings about the whole thing before uh. and after, well, before, during, and after. I just don't know if we have the time to get into it. So check out our other podcasts. We've you got know, some just on Henry Ford. We do, and we have some that you know focus on the Model T, of course, mm-hmm. and you know some of the other features that it um, – oh, also um, Fordlandia. We've got that whole <laughs> thing going on. Yeah. There's a lot about Henry Ford that we can talk about, but, again, we don't have time – Please look into it in some of our older podcasts because uh, he's a fascinating character. And if you enjoy history, you should also check out our uh, sister podcast, Stuff You Missed in History Class, which has uh, so many amazing episodes about little-known historical events and has a Henry Ford episode hosted by our very own Car Stuff, Scott Benjamin. You know, I almost forgot I had done that. Yeah, that was a, that was a while ago, but uh, some extra interesting stuff in that Mm -hmm. one. Stuff that wasn't covered in car stuff. Right. Some stuff that was covered in car stuff. So there's a little overlap, but um, it's a different angle, I guess. Now, before we turn this into a uh, full meeting of the Henry Ford Fan Club, of which Scott and I are prominent members, we are going to head out. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast. We also hope that you took us up on our uh, questions. What does deserve to be here but wasn't? What doesn't deserve to be on the list? Cough, Taurus. Cough, cough. Let us know. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. Check out our website, carstuffshow.com. And if you have a suggestion for something else we should cover, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.